How's it going, everyone? I understand if you're a Canadians fan, you're probably pissed off. It's yet another unfortunate loss, and the Canadians are failing to capitalize on positives again and again this season. But we're going to try to at least look at a couple of positives in this game, and I've got uh, some excellent guests to join me right now. It's Laurie Bennett, who you might know as Laurie Habs on Twitter, and Adam Herman. How's it going, folks? Not so bad. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing great here. Uh, I'm sure Habs fans, you know, don't yeah. feel great about that game, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, it's funny. I think that this was the most angry that the Bell Center has sounded so far this year with like a sarcastic ole ole chant. And they don't yeah. really do that, right? Like that's <laughs> one of the ones that they don't really use sarcastically. They do the Bronx cheer, but. Am I crazy to think that this was not even close to a bad game for this team? <laughs> like, from this is probably like the third or fourth best game this season, which is weird to say for a team allowing five goals against a team that hasn't scored this much during the regular season. Or I guess actually they allowed six goals because they, there's an empty net. Or actually, yeah. I have to update the stream for that. But uh, like, I thought they played through two periods pretty well overall just like everything went against them it was um i thought they held it together pretty good in the beginning the uh the islanders were the absolute worst team for the habs to be facing right now um just so composed so patient so structured so well coached um coming in you know against the habs team that's fallen apart a bit right not so not so confident doesn't take a lot to get them off their game disorganized, lots of holes, people missing. And it was just the wrong sort of, uh, you know, they held it together, I thought, as well as they were going to for a while. And, you know, after it hit two goals, it was like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to get uh, three passes goalie. And then, of course, it just it fell apart from there. Yeah, Sorokin was great. I think that's one thing that we have to acknowledge going in because I think, Obviously, the Islanders didn't allow the Canadians to get very many grade-A chances through the first 40 minutes either, yeah. but he was pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't I, – I'm not sure I've seen a game quite like that where, like, the Canadians were very clearly in control of um, – they, they dictated play for a lot of, of the game, but, like, it was a classic Islanders trap where, like, they let you have the puck, but they're not going to give you many scoring chances. And so, like – as much as the Canadians had the puck in the offensive zone, it just really didn't feel like for, you know, until kind of those, those, you know, that late stretch there, like didn't feel like they really were threatening too much. And meanwhile, the Islanders, you know, were going the other way on transition rushes, a lot of, you know, uh, two on ones and, um, you know, transition plays. So it was just a very bizarre kind of uh, scenario, I think. Yeah. And I think that it was kind of a tale of opposites, right? Because, the Islanders weren't able to control much in the first two periods and they didn't get very many chances, but every single chance they got was either amazing or it was Wallstrom who has that ridiculous shot yeah. in the middle of the slot. And it was like, it's, it's going in. It's just going in. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, to an extent, at least, that's, that's the Islanders game. It's just, uh, they kind of just want to suffocate you and almost uh, um, kind of ruin your, uh, what, what would be the right word? Um, you know, I guess just make demoralize you, I suppose would be the right word, just kind of where you have the puck. Like I said, you have the puck, but you're, you're just not penetrating. You're not really getting through and creating chances. And I think that would have been one thing if the Canadians were, you know, getting chances and Sorokin was just making great saves and you can kind of, you know, trust that. All right. Like we're, we're, we're getting our looks that, you know, eventually he's, he's going to break, but they just weren't really getting through anything much. And that's kind of what the Islanders do where they just break you down like that, where it's not only aren't you not getting chances, but you get frustrated and, and, um, you know, defensemen maybe start pinching and, and, and such, and, and you get exposed that way. They're just, they're just willing to be patient and just wait for their chances. Um, and, you know, it worked to a T for them tonight. Yeah, I got a, a few Penguins fans that uh, messaged me and they were like, yeah, this is what they did to us in the playoffs. It was like this combined yeah. with Jerry being terrible. And it was just every game we controlled the play and they got perfect chances and Jerry just couldn't stop anything. It's like that—that that is their game. Like not that they never control play, but they do this all, often and they are extremely yeah. successful at it. Yeah, and, the, and, and for the Habs, <laughs> that frustration tolerance is pretty low right now. 100%. They're you know, they're not so confident. You know, if they're if they're getting chances and not converting, you can just see it wearing down on them. And just the, you can watch their uh, the facial expressions, the body language, everything just starts to sink. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they can get that first goal, if they get a couple of good chances, you can see some pep. Uh, but you know, uh, once they start missing opportunities, once they you know, everything seems to not be going their way. It, it doesn't take long for them to sort of sink into a bad, bad space. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, you, you look at why, why Tampa Bay was able to beat them in the conference finals the previous two seasons. And, you know, one is because, you know, they're probably the best team in the league, of course, right? But beyond that, you know, they were getting similar situations would happen against the Islanders where they'd get into those games like that and they'd even lose a few early. And they, they had enough kind of uh, trust uh, banked that, you know, they didn't right. stray away that they, they knew like that their goals were going to come out if they stuck with their plan, like that the tide would shift their way. Eventually they kind of had that, um, they built up that credibility and, you know, not just from others, but like in, within the locker room, I'm sure within the coaching staff where they didn't panic, um, you know, which I would assume for Montreal is a very different situation right now for a number of reasons. Yeah. The, the scoring depth isn't really working. It seems like the only guy who's really being able to consistently put the puck in the scoring areas right now is Suzuki, which oddly mm. enough at the beginning of the season was something he wasn't able to do at all. And now he's up to nine points in 12 games, which is pretty solid, but yeah. uh, outside of Nick Suzuki being hot, I, I want to search for positives a little bit because I think that the Canadians fan base is so frustrated right now. And I totally understand it. And we're going to talk about why everyone's so frustrated later on in the show. But first I want to talk about a couple of things that I saw in this game that were kind of positive. Uh, the number one thing that I saw was reuniting the Lekkonen, Evans, and Armia line, which was fantastic yeah. in the playoffs. They were excellent tonight. They didn't score, but they were excellent tonight. I thought Armia had one of his best games of the season. Uh, strong on the puck, doing what he does, just being annoying to the other team, just... Um, you know, and, and I thought Lekkonen had some nice, he had a couple of good chances there. He had some good pep. 
that that's a great line. If they if they can play that line, if that line was their fourth line and they were rolling it at a decent amount of ice time a game, that could be a solid situation. Um, not where they are right now, but yes. but the, I thought they looked great. Yeah, that's yeah, I think that's I, exactly I think, the point, Laurie. Right. Is like if that's yeah. your fourth line, you're a team that's like quite good, but they're at the third yeah. line. It's not gonna good enough because that line's yeah. never gonna score enough to satisfy right. what a third line needs to do. Yeah. yeah. Now I was gonna say, like they they did their job, you know. Like if if they can get goals, like occasionally you need them to score, right? Eventually, but like you can't go into a game saying like that line needs to be the one that produces for us. And I think that's kind of part of the problem for for the Habs right now is that they 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 can't just let that line do their thing, get pucks deep, you know, um, you know, cycle control play, eat away, you know, time and and such, and then like you know get the the um, the skill guys on to score. They just don't really have that kind of firepower to to complement it right now you know and so it puts them in a bit of an awkward spot where they they kind of have to play a bit above their means where you know i think they did a very good job tonight but you know when the team's struggling for for goals uh you know it's it compounds the issue yeah and i there's a comment here that uh Belzeal and Pizzetta had another good game. I agree. I thought they were really strong. Uh, they brought a lot of energy on that fourth line. They created some chaos in the Islanders zone. I don't know if either of those guys are like long-term things, but I think the the issue with the Canadians, like not just now, it's been kind of an issue. The whole Bergevin tenure is like, there's just too many of those guys, right? Yeah. It's not anything against Belzeal or Pizzetta, who I think have had two really good games after being called up. You just, need guys if they're going to be in those positions that they can score 15 goals and you don't really expect that from any of those guys not evans not i mean maybe armia because he gets some power play time but like if you're a power play guy maybe 15 is a low bar you know like you've got to score a little bit more than they do and even if they're good players it's like move the teams that need those guys is, you know, like there's too many fringe guys on the Canadians and that goes to the defense as well, but we're looking for positive. So let's yes. Belzeal and Pizzetta were both good. That's two good games in a row for them. I really liked Pizzetta's energy in particular. Yeah. I mean, those guys they're I mean, they're fun to watch, I guess. And it's a good story for them. Um, if the Habs have to play them more than one game at a time, you know they're not in great space. They're they're digging into their AHL depth. That's not the depth that you want to be call, uh, calling up to get good looks in the NHL. Uh, they're the guys that are they, they should be your guys filling in in, in you know your short term crisis stuff. And otherwise, if you need a longer call up, it should be your your prospects who you see as being uh, you know having some future with the team. And that's not who those guys are. I mean, no offense to those guys. They they've done they've played their game and did it well, but. Um, managing expectations when you're calling up guys like that a hundred percent. And I think that's like, yeah. you, you hit the nail on the head there, Lori, that like, if this is who you're calling up first, like you're probably yeah. not in a good situation and the energy is a positive thing and you don't want to shove that aside. But if you're sending a guy like Cole Caulfield down to, to the AHL and you can't call up anybody who can score at all, it, it kind of makes you question the prospect depth that's been lauded over the last couple of years, right? Like we've seen a lot of positive coverage of the Canadians drafting, like specifically over the last three or four years. Yeah. Before that, obviously we know the situation was not great, but if Pizzetta is the number one guy, no disrespect to him. Like we said, he played great. It's an issue. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, it's there. It's not the problem. The problem is not them not doing their jobs. The problem is just that's not the jobs that need to be done right now. Exactly. For, for Montreal, um, you know, and Coldfield's supposed to be that guy. You know, it's not really his fault if he's not ready yet like so be it you know he's very young like that's not unexpected necessarily but you know right or wrong fair or not like the Habs margin for error is so small that like they they kind of they don't have a plan b um for if he wasn't ready to start this season um to get them that kind of that scoring depth um and yeah i you know uh it's, it's a huge problem right now and I, I don't see any you know even even below the AHL, like I'm not sure how many um, of those kind of different ma- difference making forwards are are necessarily on the way. Um, you know, so it's a conundrum. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the high end talent outside of Caulfield in the Canadian system is on defense, right? Uh, I think yeah. Josh is it Jordan Harris or Josh Harris? Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Harris. Harris Jordan, and there's Jordan another Harris. one, Josh something, right? In college. Jane Struble. Jane Struble, that's the one. Uh, him yeah, and Nor- uh, Nor- Matthias Norlander is, you know, playing his first like, game in the like foul this weekend. I like Katie Gould a lot. Katie Gould is very good, but again, like he's a shutdown defenseman. Um, yeah. He's just so, not what they need at the moment. No, no. You know, so I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. a tough one. So, I mean, they need those young defensemen that can move the puck for sure. They definitely need that, but they need some scoring as well. And I, I know I've kind of been hammering this drum all season long, but I thought that like, I don't want to trash him too much. Cause like Christian Dvorak is a very good player. Mm. I've really liked his play so far this season overall, but when the trade was like, even before the trade was made and it was rumored that they were going after Christian Dvorak, I was like, they should just bite the bullet and pay a higher price and get Thomas hurdle. Cause there was tons of rumors that he was wanting out of San Jose or that San Jose was willing to shop him. And I got a lot of pushback on that because I what I said was Christian Dvorak is perfectly fine, but he's just meh, you know. And to me, it's kind of looked that way this season. Like he does a lot of good things, great on faceoffs. His underlying numbers are very strong. He's a good, solid two-way center. But the Canadians needed somebody who would push the needle. And offensively, yeah. I just don't see it with him. It's not he's not super creative. And the Canadians need more creative players, especially in the middle, especially after losing their ability to be like a hardcore shutdown team by losing Deneau and Weber and Edmondson at the start of the season. Like they have to recognize that they need to change up their style. I mean, truthfully, they needed both. Yes. They needed both. Centermen. You know, it's no issue with them bringing in Dvorak. I like the deal for Dvorak. Uh, it's just, they still have a hole at center really. And uh, Dvorak with the right crew is like, I like the idea of playing and withdrawing when, when, you know, I I like that assembly, the idea of having a a puck carrier, uh, Dvorak would do the dirty work and finisher in in Anderson. I like that setup a lot when they brought him in. I I find that when he's, um, to me, he doesn't look like he's found a rhythm with anyone significantly in the beginning we saw some signs of that with those when those that trio is together but in the last few games he's looking really uh, out of sync it seems to be and I, I think there's a simple uh, you know if, if you if if you look at the the roster tonight go go you know write down the roster and then start circling the guys who can move the puck 
and you're going to have a really small number of circles on your page when you're done. There's no puck movers. Forward defense doesn't matter who they are. You've got a bunch of guys who are either, you know, shooters. They want to, you know, take a swing at the puck, or they're going to go and, and do their thing on the boards and all that jazz. Or you got the shutdown D. But how many of those guys can move the puck in, in any position? You know, if you if you've got Jake Allen being the guy who's trying to move the puck for you. Uh, probably not in your best space and that's through the lineup and I think I think that's what makes Dvorak stand out right now it's not so much what he's what he's doing or not doing it's that they're missing something else dramatically there yeah absolutely and I think that when you're when they're down Drew and it becomes extremely obvious yeah. that moving the puck is laborious for the Montreal Canadiens yeah. Although, ironically, they managed to get the puck moving a little bit on the five-on-three. When it started, I was like, oh, my God, not more point shots. <laughs> I, I can't believe how many point shots they've taken on five-on-three so far this year. But finally, they got it across the goal yeah. crease, and Toffoli was able to snipe it home. But yeah. it, it's a tough thing without Duran in the lineup. And even when Duran is in the lineup, like we talked about this before with, I think, uh, Mitch Brown when he was on, and maybe Chris Watkins as well, where off the rush... Druen should be a better playmaker, but he has a habit of he'll cross, like he'll enter the zone. And instead of driving deep, even going wide and trying to set up a play, he kind of stops on the half boards. And then that limits his options of what he can do. Mm -hmm. And like, if everyone stops in the right position, sure, that stop will open up a lane, but he's kind of predictable that way. So he just ends up losing the puck a lot of the time. And I think Druen's been fantastic this year. But it is an issue in his game in terms of even strength yeah. playmaking that he can't really be that high end playmaker off the rush, and the Canadians just don't just don't have that. They have guys yeah. who can score off the rush, but nobody who really right. passes yeah. off. The I rush. was I was actually just gonna say like Suzuki is brilliant, but beyond for him, sure. um, for that for that kind of thing, like Drew and kind of like Mitch, you know, alludes to like he has elements of that game where you could say like if he if he did certain things like it could be there, but it you know it's just not there, and then like. Yeah, there are, there are other guys like Toffoli and Anderson and, and, you know, Hoffman who kind of are more, they capitalize on, you yeah. know, other pe- people's work, um, you know, their shooters and such, but they're not going to be the ones that, um, you know, necessarily uh, create these own entries and then, and then quarterback the play. And then on defense, you know, I think in previous seasons, maybe Shea Weber's slap shot maybe covered for a lot of issues in that regard, you know, uh, although Petrie's great, but you know, like that shot was just booming in a way that a lot of defenses around the league just don't have that kind of weapon. But, you know, once you remove that, like there's just not a lot of puck moving ability necessary on that, on that defense either. And, you know, that um, it limits perhaps options and it also, you know, makes it easier to defend for the other team because they know kind of where play is going to go. Yeah. And I think the, the one guy who you can rely on to move the puck on the back end had a really tough start to the season, right? And Jeff Petrie, he, whether it was injury or just the incredible amount of pressure that's now on him with Weber out. And like, it's not just that Weber's out because Weber's been out before and Petrie's played great. It's Mm, knowing that he isn't coming back, right? Like in the back of your mind, this is on you all season long. And then Bergevin comes out four games in and he's like, I'm not making a trade. (laughs) You're like, okay, so uh, I got to carry the bag here the whole time. He's the guy, right? Yeah. Like it's him and, and, you know, a bunch of guys who are, you know, Savard's, you know, a veteran, but like, aside from that, it's a bunch of kind of, uh, you know, journeymen or, or, you know, young players, you know, yeah. who, who can't be relied on in that way. Like there's just a lot on Petrie's plate for sure. And I think he has the ability 
you know, maybe not to cover for everyone, but he can be a top pairing defenseman, even a number one, maybe, but like mentally that has to be a huge burden for him. Yeah. I think he has been a number one for the last several seasons. It's just like there's been some level of support and now he doesn't really have any, but I thought he was pretty great today overall. Like this is the first game where I didn't see any major gaffes from Petrie and he seemed confident with the puck. His offensive zone decision-making was very strong. He wasn't just like getting frustrated and trying to take a slap shot into the shins all the time. So I think that's like another slight positive for the Canadians is like, I thought Suzuki has really been coming on of late. Jeff Petrie has really been trending in the right direction to the point where we expect him to be. And those are, in my opinion, the two most important players on the team this year. For sure. Um, Petrie's looking a little bit better. I think in the last two, maybe three games, he's settled in. He's, yeah. he's starting to look more like himself, not trying to do too much. He's starting to look more like uh, the player we're used to. He's still not quite where we are used to him being, but I'm wondering if, uh, you know, for some reason him and Edmondson had a, a thing that worked that I didn't really expect to work when they threw them together last year, but it worked. And, and maybe that will be something that settles him down a little bit more when, when he's back. But, uh, you know, I, I think he'll, the two, the pair of them will come around, but the other guy that I think, um, you know, that, that I think has been a positive for the Habs, and that tonight wasn't a strong game, but I think I think the line he was on tonight was a really bad call. But uh, Josh Anderson, I think, has been consistently Josh Anderson, you know, for what he does, for what he brings. Uh, you know, one of the things that I found about him last season was that he, he'd have one game where he was tearing everything up and, you know, screaming down the wing and, and just on fire, and the next game you wouldn't notice he was there. And I think pretty much every game this season, there's been a few a few occasions in the game where I thought he looked dangerous, where I thought he was doing what he does well. Uh, and there are limits to what he does. Obviously, he's not going to be he's not going to be your puck carrier, and that was that's the problem with his line tonight. There was no puck carrier on the line, uh, but uh, that that's a, I think a positive throughout the season has been the consistency in his play. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Anderson has been full value this season. I was hoping that he would add a little bit of variety to his game over the summer, but consistently doing the things that he does well is also pretty good. I think my big, yeah, he is what he is. Yeah. My big thing with Anderson is like, if he could pass even at like a league average level, he'd be really, really good. But he just see that one beautiful pass though. Yes. He has had a couple really good ones this year. That one beautiful pass to open the scoring in the first game to draw in. That was, yep. that was a beauty. <laughs> that was absolutely gorgeous. And I remember watching that and I was like, Anderson made that pass. Cause usually it's a, a two foot pass and he misses it all the time. Like not to get on. Cause I remember Pacioretty doing that all the time, like on the power play back in the day, it was like oh, two yeah. foot pass and he just yeah. like lob it out of the zone. You're like, what are you, what are you doing? Even strength killer power play dummy. But <laughs> that's just the way some players are. And uh, you got to accept what they do well and try to yeah. limit their negative impacts. For yeah. sure. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I don't, I know you don't want to be too negative, but like when I was watching this game and, you know, I'll just uh, against the Rangers and, and, you know, kind of look at this, that's like, you know, maybe Gallagher could be a bit better. You know, we were talking about Devor could be maybe a bit better, but like across the board, for the most part, like I'm not seeing a team that like where there's just like these like big players slumping like you know what I mean like I feel like for the most part like players are more or less 
even if it's not collectively happening as a team, I think individually, like most players are more or less playing within the bounds of like what might be expected of them. There just isn't, you know, especially with, with injuries and such and, you know, Caulfield being demoted. It just seems like there just isn't enough there right now. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, the chat has decided, Lori, you're the new head Habs head coach. They're really? liking your, they're liking your analysis. So uh, you've been hired. It's a bit of a pay raise, I hope pay raise for a good six weeks before you're fired yeah yeah exactly well i mean i don't know if uh, the gm has the latitude to fire another coach right now we'll we'll see about that but uh, okay i want to move on to a more questionable thing and i wouldn't say it's a positive but i i don't necessarily agree that it's a negative either david savard has become very divisive already you've yeah. got people comparing him to carl alsner uh two goals today that looked from a sky's view to be his fault. I don't think either of them were on him. Definitely. That first goal was not on him. <laughs> yeah, that first was on goal Kulak. where he lost absolutely on Kulak. Um, he was, he got, you know, he was holding his man pretty good. And, and then suddenly Kulak's behind him and he, he lost, he lost track and, uh, and it's in the net, but I thought he was managing the player pretty well up to that point where Kulak did a little dipsy doodle behind him. Yeah. Kulak came out, kind of came in behind and took out his legs and <laughs> missed the puck. Like, it's, I mean, part of it's probably just miscommunication and that happens yeah. with the new pairing, but yeah, yeah, I was surprised that people were all over Savard on that one. And the other one, which <laughs> was uh, the, I think it was a breakaway goal. It was the one where he like mishandled the puck at the blue line, but that was, yeah. I think Anderson lobbed the pass over his stick Anderson recovered the puck or not Anderson uh Savard recovered the puck anyway and just tried to like smash it back in the zone and it went off a shin pad and went back and it was a two-on-one and he couldn't uh even then on the two-on-one he was caught flat-footed caught up to the player limited them and then nobody was covering I believe it was Brock nobody Nelson, else came back yeah you know and I mean of course it was Brock Nelson he scored four of the six goals but <laughs> yeah no one came back Anderson was also caught flat-footed so I don't want to like put too much blame on him either but it's there's like three bad bounces on that goal for Savard alone. And you're like, okay, it sucks, but is it really on him? Is it like he personally made a huge mistake there? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I just, I think it, Savard is fine. He's just yeah. that guy who's brought in and he's too similar to all the other guys they already have. Yeah. And so because he's the new guy and things are going against him right now, he's the focal point. That's that's the guy they're choosing to pick on right now. I mean, it's it's uh, you know I I had a famous saying back when they signed Edmondson. You know, the thing about signing too many stay-at-home oh. defensemen is that you're going to find yourself staying at home too much. And they went and did the same thing with Savard. The issue is not with any of any one individual defenseman. Like they're all playing within their own their own style and they're they're doing their thing. Uh, Savard's probably a little tired after a long, long postseason last year, but I, I, I don't think he's been, I think he's looked slow at times. Yeah. Uh, but I like, you know, the reality is that none of those stay at home guys have a puck mover to play with. Yes. Uh, or exactly. if, you know, if, or if they've got a puck mover, it's a guy who, you know, they're paying minimum wage to. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of a right. It puts them all in a bad situation. Yeah. I mean, you look at his, uh, his role in Tampa Bay, right? Like he wasn't expected to be a hero every night to be like yeah. this 200 foot defenseman. Like he had a role as be a depth defenseman, present, prevent zone entries, you know, close out games, 
you know, he's, he's good at those things. And it's a different situation, you know, like I said, in, in Montreal, where you don't have these reliable players to these reliable offensive defensemen, these reliable puck movers to kind of, uh, you know, slot him into that role. He's kind of like, you know, being relied on probably maybe to do more um, than he's capable of, which is maybe, you know, on one hand, we could talk about the contract I was giving out this season and such, which, you know, so like what do you deserve that? Well, that may be a fair discussion, but regardless, like his game is his game. That's not, he can only do, you know, the things he's good at. Um, I, you know, watching tonight, I, I certainly, I don't think he was a, amazing game by any means but he no. was not the one of the players who stuck out to me as like ooh, like he that's why like these goals happened i thought hoffman which not maybe not surprising but like i thought he had some breakdowns defensively i thought weidman could have played better um i don't think either is necessarily surprising in defensive lapses but um no i don't I, yeah my my takeaway and what i've watched is not necessarily that savard's been this you know huge problem yeah, and also, like, I want to bring up this comment from David St. Louis, who's a fantastic analyst, and he said he didn't catch the game tonight, but he was asking if it's possible that Savard feels that he has to extend past his comfort zone staying at home to help the team move the puck, leading to more mistakes. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the defensemen on there feel like they have to do that right now. That's probably what part of what was hurting Petrie, right? Like, he has to try to do yeah. things outside of his regular game to get things going, and maybe the whole team has felt like that, you know, as things have not gone well for them so far this season, but Savard is definitely a guy who, when he's out of his comfort zone, probably makes a lot more mistakes. And to Laurie's point that he looks slow, I find it's definitely when he has to like cross over, he loses a step. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, maybe he should watch some Shea Weber tape, which is ironic, but if he could keep a wider gap, and it might not be possible because I know Savard uses a much shorter stick, which is why he's able to stick handle pretty well. Yeah. But keeping a wider gap might leave him less exposed because whenever he crosses over, it seems like guys are able to blow past him. And yeah. it, that's also a very noticeable thing for a casual fan. So as soon as that starts happening, it's very easy yeah. to key in on that guy. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mean, I'm looking at like he was third in minutes for a defenseman tonight for Montreal. Like, you know, on, on a team that's, you know, let's say, I don't know what would be the right term. I don't, I don't want to say anything too harsh, but maybe better proportions. Like in a game you're, where you're chasing the score, he would not be getting the third most minutes. You know, yes. there'd be other defensemen that the, yes. the head coach, that the coaching staff's pulling out there to chase the game to get, you know, he, uh, you know, and, you know, we could talk about that, the greater build of the, of the Habs and like what that means. But like, as far as Savar himself is concerned, you know, that, that kind of puts him in a situation where it's, uh, it's tough for him to succeed. Yeah, this is the Montreal Canadiens, though, who who last season during the three-on-three would throw out their penalty penalty killers. So, yeah. <laughs> like, they, they don't exactly have the the killer instinct to put out their, you know, who you might want to score a goal at the end of the game. So, it's – there's a style thing there. I think there's a piece there in terms of what they have available in personnel, but there's also a style thing. It's like they're, they're, they're always – I swear on a penalty shot, they'd be playing defense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, I remember specifically, I don't even remember which series it was. I think it might have been against the Lightning that the Canadians got a five on three and they threw out two defensemen. <laughs> and Cole Caulfield was like red hot and they didn't put Caulfield out there on the, the five on three. Yeah. And it's like, it might, actually, it might have even yeah. been a, it was a four on three. That's what it was, which is like super rare. And you're yeah. like, you've got so much space to move out there. You've got this kid with a sniper shot who's actually yeah. scoring. And you've got, two guys out there and it was like Weber and Petrie just taking bombs from the point. And it's like, 
And nothing getting through. Yeah. No, nothing getting through. And you're like, yeah. at what point are you going to learn here? And I just don't believe at all that it's a talent issue for the power play because there's less talented teams that ice Definitely much not. more effective strategies. And maybe it's like ingrained at this point that everyone defers to the points and they think that's going to help them, but it isn't 2008 anymore. And Sheldon Sore is not back there clapping Markov Ooh. passes. So maybe that's the issue. Maybe this team had Andre Markov for too long and without Andre Markov, there laying out the passes. You're just not scoring from the top that much. <laughs> They've never replaced him. Yeah. You know, everyone's everyone's talked about uh, it, this was this was a storyline that I expected to follow us all all uh, season. And you know, we heard some more of it tonight. Like you know, the Habs are missing Shea Weber, and you know they're they're oh the power play must really be missing Shea Weber, and they're missing missing Shea Weber's leadership. The Habs are really used to missing Shea Weber. Shea yeah. Weber's missed a lot of hockey in the last few years. And, you know, like no offense to Shea Weber or his leadership or his ability, but, you know, the Habs have iced some pretty bad teams in the last few years with Shea Weber and with, uh, you know, Kakaniami still present and with, you know, Dano Tatarn and Gallagher being one of the top lines in the league. You know, they had some strong bits, but they still ice a pretty bad team. You know, if you if you could forget about the playoff run last year, we watched some pretty bad hockey all season with Shea Weber. And, um, you know, like coming back to the original point, they've never replaced Andre Markov. That's what they're lacking on their power play. It's what they're lacking in their puck moving for most. They've never replaced them. Uh, they've tried to replace them from the bargain bin and and it's never they've never had success since he left. It's true. And the fact is, like, if it weren't for the COVID situation, scrambling divisions, and then allowing 24 teams to enter the playoffs the year before, we would be staring down the barrel of a fourth straight season with no playoffs. So like, yes, last yeah. season's playoff run was magical. The season before where they eliminated Pittsburgh was incredible hockey to watch. It was a yeah. great story. Last year was a great story too, not to take away from it. And like, it was incredibly fun, but, this is not a team that was expected to make the playoffs in any of those years. And the one time they did make the playoffs before then they got bounced by the New York Rangers pretty quickly. Yeah. So this is not yeah, that, a situation that's trended in the right direction for a long time now. For a long time. You know, last season, they like, they not only made the playoffs, you know, they, they fell in backwards into the playoffs, I guess, because they, it was pretty rough there at the end of the season. And, you know, in, in the COVID conferences and so on but uh they played well in the playoffs they didn't just you know they made it once they made it they got after you know after losing a few to toronto they got it together and they played well for the rest of that playoff it, it was they came together as a team i'm not sure exactly what happened there i have some some theories about what happened there but but they they pulled it together in a short for a short period of time and played some really good hockey but you know, if, if you were if you were a fan what, who watched every one of those games for the last few years, you know that that was a pocket of time, not really what that team look, has looked like. Yeah, it wasn't representative, right? And no, I think there's a all. lot of people who saw that success and they were like, well, we've been told that they were built for the playoffs this whole time and they upset yeah. Pittsburgh and then they upset Toronto <clears> and <throat> upset Vegas. And it's like, it's true. Like, they did do all those things, but I'm... St I don't really believe that they were built for the playoffs. Like I think there no. was complete and total team buy-in last year. I sure. totally believe that. And there was a swagger to that lineup 
on the defensive side that they knew that they could shut down anybody's top forwards. They yeah. cut the knees off of Vegas's top forwards, cut the knees off of Toronto's, but then they ran into a team that was as good as them defensively and had more offensive weapons throughout the lineup and they got their heads absolutely <clears throat> caved in. Yeah. And I mean, the lightning mode had done that to probably anyone last year, but it should have been a wake up call that what they were doing wasn't working. Mm. And unfortunately, I, I mean, it's hard to say like last season should have been the focal point of change because I think it should have been several years ago, but you shouldn't have bought into that being a repeatable thing. And I think the Canadians kind of did like, I think that is proven by signing David Savard. And again, it's not about David Savard. It's not about all. having all of the same player. I, uh, you know, it's interesting. You, you brought up that, that quick series loss against the Rangers some years back. And, you know, that's kind of what I thought of when you were talking about, like when Montreal fans or who have media met us to see it, like it we're, we're built for the playoffs. Like I remember that, that season, I, I think Bergeron was, Bergeron was in charge of it, but they traded for like Steve Ott and yep. Dwight King and then just like a bunch of grinders. And you think Brandon Davidson on defense, they just, all these just hulking players who grind in the Rangers, you know, like Matt Zuccarello and like, because of that, like undressed them and, you know, you, you, you do, you get enough kicks at the can like that, you know, give, you build enough teams like that. Like eventually one's going to just get through, right? Like they're just one, just by sheer roll of the dice. It's a numbers game. Like one is going to start winning a series or two. And I, I don't necessarily think that proves anything because I think there've been enough teams built in this image in Montreal the last number of years that haven't gone anywhere, you know, that we can't look at, you know, last season's run which I don't think was a complete fluke, but I don't think there's enough there that we can say, see, like this was, this blueprint is, is, is what works and it's repeatable and we should stick with that. Yeah. Like, I think it, you could played... easily say, sorry, Laurie, I think you could Let's easily say that the Jets series, they like very obviously deserve that series. And yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of people kind of sure. were like, oh, well, Shifley got suspended. I don't think it would have mattered. If, if no. you look at how bad they agree. played the Jets, like it was yeah. a slaughter. The Vegas yeah. series, 50-50. Like they, they did I mean, really well they, in that series. They, they shut down the, Mark Stone. Yeah. You, you know, know? And, they did. and they like, didn't get the amazing. power play advantage at all. I think the Leaf series, if you would replay that a hundred times, the Canadians would probably win like five. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I mean, they, they, their big strategy on D was to play four, <laughs> to yeah. play four guys. Right. And, um, and I don't think Dom thought that he'd need to do it for very long. So it was it was something that he could pull off for a series or two, maybe. And and they pulled it off well. But, you know, when you're getting into game 20, uh, those four guys, one of which has to be on an enormous amount of medication to even be performing at all, uh, it's going to wear down. And, you know, at, at no point did Deschamps make the adjustment to to say, oh, God, we're, we're playing more than a couple of series here. And I've got four defensemen, a couple of which are getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, and I, I've got, I don't have, you know, two, two additional guys that I trust to play for very long. And he, you know, he didn't do anything to, to shift that. It wasn't sustainable long-term. Yeah. And, I, I and do wonder. It's not sustainable for a run uh, for, for any, you know, sort of dynasty for sure. Yeah. I, I do wonder, and you guys, you know, would know better than I would on this. And, you know, on one hand, I think Bergman kind of boxed the halves into this kind of scenario, but at the same time, like, I do wonder if after last season's run, you know, where they, they made it to game six, right? Am I right? In the, the finals? Uh, like, I'm five. wondering two game, five. game five. All right. So, you know, three games away from winning a sailing cup. I, I do wonder if he had, 
if he had said, look, the run was great, but like, it's time to tear this down. And he had d- just done that this summer. Like, how do you think Montreal would have, would that have been accepted there? Or would that have been something, you know, I, I'm just wondering how much of a difficult spot that put him in. I mean, I think Weber essentially being forced to retire should have been the nail in the coffin for that. Right. Like they yeah. made the decision for them. I think if Seattle had taken price in the expansion draft, that absolutely would mm. have happened. They would have just blown things apart. I think they go, they're ha- going to have to do that anyway. Like, the writing is on. No, the wall. I, I agree. It's, it's you know, it's there. Just, it's now. It's like you're not going to be able to get rid of Price for free because that contract is gigantic. I think the best thing that could happen to them is he comes back and he's incredible. And you know, if if Price wants to stay, and they can't rebuild within his career window, I would like not even like I'm not really a huge fan of the team anymore. Like I don't cheer. I don't get upset about games or anything like that, but just as like following the organization, I think it would be completely acceptable and fans would mostly accept not moving price. If he just finishes his career here and it would suck for price to never get a championship because it's kind of the same situation as Longvist where you're going to end up owning like almost all the team longevity records and not win anything for it. And you just feel like this huge wasted opportunity, but keeping him here, I think just as a leadership situation for young kids coming up is good as a stability for the organization is good. So I think that'd be accepted, but you've got to make a change somewhere. And that kind of brings us into like where we're going here and what the the spot that the Canadians are in. The GM does not have a contract beyond this season. He said he's not going to make any moves, which is a weird thing to say four games in. But I'm just wondering how long this can go on when you have fans in the Bell Center sarcastically chanting ole ole, even in a game where, like we said, there's some positives to take out of it before the organization realizes they have to make a move. Well, I, I think if there's one th- thing that we've learned in recent seasons is that Jeff Molson has an incredibly high tolerance for shame. Um, you know, there, there's been some pretty, the, the fans of the Bell have been pretty uh, upset at, you know, on more than one occasion and, and where things have looked pretty ugly a few times during Bergman's uh, tenure. And, you know, he's he's been steadfast. You know, that there's been no... Uh, there's no rush moves. No one can ever accuse Molson of moving too fast. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so I don't know if he's doing anything. You know, it, it, w- it won't surprise me if if Bergman finishes the contract. Frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if he was re-signed tomorrow. Um, you know, how do you think that, that would play? That would though, be, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to go over, but it wouldn't shock me. Uh, you know, like that—that's the sad part of it uh, because. There have been there's been there, there's been plenty of times when he could have been well justified in moving on, and he's seemingly had no interest in moving on. Um, so, I, I think I I don't know if we're seeing a change mid year. Certainly not at the GM level. Yeah, it's weird because it's a complicated legacy for Bergevin, right? If he leaves after this season, you could you could say legitimately that he's had more success overall than any GM since the Canadians were winning cups, right? They came to the Stanley cup final for the first time since 1993. They had another run to the conference final in 2014. That probably would have gone further if Chris Kreider and Alexi Emelin didn't combine to destroy Price's knee. You know, it's, you can say that he's made a huge amount of really good trades for sure. 
But uh, as I said on the Hockey Inside Out show earlier today, you look at the draft record and the development record, and the Canadians currently outside of Seattle, who have only existed for a few months, have the fewest drafted and developed players on their roster of any team in the entire league. And if you count IR, they're just one player ahead of Vegas. Like, they're tied with, I think, uh, Ottawa and Pittsburgh. And, you know, Pittsburgh, the guys they have on the roster that they've drafted and developed are like Chris Letang, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin. And the Canadians have Brendan Gallagher, Archery Lekin, and Jake Evans. You know, Cole Caulfield, if he's back up. But yeah. the the guys that they've developed in the Bergevin era, and I think we have a lot of hope for Cole Caulfield, Cole Caulfield a lot of hope for guys like Matthias Norlander and Struble, but they're not here yet. And just the track record doesn't give me confidence that they're going to be the impact players that they should be. Uh, yeah, I think he's got, you know, there's some good prospects. I, I, I like, you know, we're hard pressed, as Adam said, we're hard pressed to look to who's the guy that you're waiting for. I mean, that was Caulfield, right? That's the yeah. guy we were waiting for. And it's really hard to identify. I mean, the other guy, I guess, was we were waiting for Norlander. I don't know. We'll see if it, what that looks like. Mm. Uh, there's a couple other D prospects that we're looking for, but uh, there's not a lot of high end talent coming there for sure. Um, and, and right now the team as assembled, it, it's like, it's like a car with too many mufflers, right? Like you only need one muffler. It's like, it's like Bergman walked into an auto parts shop and said, give me six mufflers and three tires. And, you know, uh, and, and said, I'm going to go off and make a car. And what came out of there was not a car. It was a bunch of, a bunch of really useful parts, but there's no car driving anywhere out of there. And, um, you know, it's, it's time to trade off some parts and see if we can start over a bit. Yeah. I, it it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you guys watch top gear, but they, whenever they do one of their like top gear specials and they end up like modding the cars, there was one where they went to, I think it was India and they brought like sports cars with them. And they're like, Oh, we have to go off roading. And they put these like giant mud tires on and it just like ripped off all the fenders while they were driving. <laughs> and like, they couldn't handle the wheels. It was just awful. And it's like, yeah, that, that's kind of the Canadians, right? You want to be the flashy Canadians. You're like, oh, let's put these big mud tires on here. And it just doesn't really work. And I think that kind of is why I almost want, I don't cheer for them, but I want to see the Maple Leafs have a bit of success because I look at what Kyle Dubas and co have built there. Yeah. And it frustrates me as a lapsed Canadians fan, because to me, the whole hardworking blue collar identity that the Canadians have developed, that's the Leafs. That's the Leafs thing. That's always been the Leafs thing. They're the blue collar yeah. team with not much talent and a lot of grit. That's why like you look through the Maple Leafs history of like top end players and you're like, okay, there's Sittler and Sundin and you know, a bunch of mid tier guys. The Canadians yeah. are supposed to be the high flying high talent team. And I think like what they've built there is closer to the Canadians. And it's easy to say you should be that talented. You have to actually get those picks and in the right years, but also, isn't the standard in Montreal supposed to be high? Mm. Like, this is why I kind of struggle with a lot of the fans who are like, oh, you're too negative about the team. And, you know, you can't expect them to be amazing all the time. Like, I don't expect them to be amazing all the time. But I expect them there to be a plan, some transparency about the plan, and a team identity that makes sense for the franchise. And maybe my idea of them being high-flying offensive team is 
too dated and they can't reproduce that or there's not enough free agents who are interested in Montreal to produce that. But invest something in the draft then because the constant yeah. refrain under the Bergevin regime has been UFAs don't want to sign here. And hey, they got a great deal for Tyler Toffoli, who's been fantastic. Yeah. But if you can't get the UFAs, you have to be able to draft and develop well. And this regime has proven that they can't do that. No, I, I agree. Um, you know, and aside from, you know, Coco Niemi, which is a whole can of worms in itself, but you look down at their drafting for the most part, like Cofield aside, like, no, they're not really kind of reaching for that, uh, you know, that those players that you look at, like if they, if they hit it right, like that could be a, a game breaking offensive player. Like um, they kind of are leaning into that. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Kaden Gould, um, you know, uh, even when they got Sergachev, you know, they're just, they're, they're kind of going for those guys who are, you know, that you look at, hopefully become good players, you know, part of that become like a cog in the machine, but they're not the ones driving it. Um, so yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't really see, um, enough players there where I'm like, yeah, like Suzuki aside where it's, you know, like that, this guy can, can be someone that really adds that kind of, um, you know, that, that game changing element. Yeah. I, there, there's guys on the team that are keepers, you know, that you yeah, want absolutely. on a, a competitive yeah. cup contending team, but they're just, they're missing a lot of pieces and it, it just doesn't seem like something to me that's fixable short term, yeah. especially if you're not able to bring them up through the draft, right? Like if you don't have guys waiting in the wings and Cole Caulfield is one of those guys and this st sure. slow start to the season hasn't really shaken that confidence for me too much. I, I think he will develop into like a 35 ish goal scorer, but he can't be the only one. And he kind of feels like the only one right now. We'll see how Norlander and Struble develop. Yeah, I find myself really, um, I won't say worried, that's too strong of a word for hockey, but I find myself curious about uh, Gallagher's trajectory right now. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about where that's headed. Uh, and he's got a very long deal. And, and to me, he looks, he looks a little bit broken down. Um, yeah, not sure where that – I don't know how movable that contract is right now. Yeah, I wonder because you're right. He does look broken down right now. He's very clearly injured. You know, you hear yeah. Mike Johnson on TSN talking like every shift. He's like, ah, you can tell he doesn't have his skating stride as usual. You know, like he doesn't have the burst. <clears throat> but at the same time, I look at Gallagher and like the underlying numbers are still super strong. He's still getting scoring chances. Yeah. The team is still outscoring teams by double while he's on the ice, even during this horrible streak that they're on. So I'm like, do I worry too much about Gallagher? I worry about maybe the goal scoring because of all the hand injuries. Like how many times yeah. can your hand be blown apart and put back together before you lose your touch? But I think that for the course of that contract, even if that scoring does go away, he'll be overpaid maybe, but he'll still be an impact Useful. player, right? Yeah. So I think that you'll you if they had to move Gallagher, if they wanted to move Gallagher, I think they'd have a pretty decent lineup of takers. It's just they wouldn't get the return that they would on his last contract. No, no I, I think uh, <clears throat> I love Brandon Gallagher, but if, if he starts to decline, you know, we kind of know the trend with NHL GMs where they kind of pick up on that kind of thing three years too late. 
Yes. You know, yeah. especially with players like him, like you could just see like a player like him, every GM being like, he's the kind of guy that you know helps you win the cup and you know he plays this playoff hockey style. And he's, you know, so I, I think if it came to a time where Montreal was like either for rebuild, blow it up purposes, or just, you know, moving contracts, like, I think they'd find a taker, but I agree that, you know, in theory, if Montreal is going to get moving again soon, I don't even mean just this year, but even, you know, next season and such like Gallagher has to be a big part of that. And so I don't know how much they can afford for him on, just, on even just that level for, for him to not return to form. Yeah. And I saw there was a comment earlier asking uh, why it wasn't Gallagher made the instant captain. I think it has to do with the fact that the refs really don't like him. Totally. <laughs> like, he can be an alternate, but uh, with the guy with the C, I think you've got to be able to talk to the refs with a little bit more respect than Brendan Gallagher does, or at least command some respect from them. And they don't respect him. We'll put it that yeah. way, but they, uh, they don't. I, I wonder if even, if it even wants it. I mean, I actually wrote something around that and, and, you know, whether he should be named the next captain. And, you know, like I, for me, it's as simple as this, that Gallagher can do everything he does in leadership with zero letters attached to him. Yes. Take his name off his back and he can still do the same stuff that he's doing right now. Um, and I don't know that it serves you well to have as your captain going to the refs uh, who can't stand him. Um, and I, I honestly, I don't know if Gallagher wants to be captain. I'm not sure if that's important to Gallagher, but I mean, who knows? I don't yeah. know Gallagher personally, but I, you know, I, I think he can be who he is without being the captain. Like, I think he'd wear it with pride, but I think you're right that he, yeah. he doesn't need it. He's going to do the same thing anyway. And I think yeah. there's a little bit of freedom for what he's able to do, not wearing the C it's someone mentioned in the comments, like it's a kind of similar thing with Brad Marchand. Like Brad Marchand's very clearly a leader in the Boston Bruins dressing room, but do you want to put the C on Brad Marchand <laughs> once Patrice Bergeron's gone? Like, no, because the refs probably hate him. Although they apparently laugh at his chirps a lot. Like it's just not the kind of player that you put the C on. I mean, I think that Petrie might be a good option. He's got yeah. that like stoic personality, but there, there, there isn't an obvious captain on the Canadians, which is probably why they haven't named a C yet, aside from like the delusion that maybe Weber will come back next year, which is not going to happen. You know, I, I think we can all say that with pretty glaring confidence after what Jonathan Cohen said uh, to the media <laughs> last week. But uh, I guess it's probably time for us to wrap up because I don't want to take your guys' whole night and we've gone for a bit here. I really appreciate you coming on with me. Uh, before I end the stream, though, uh, first, Lori, and then Adam, can you tell us what's going on, where we can check out your stuff? And uh, your Twitters are already linked in in uh, the description on the YouTube video, and it will be on the podcast as well. But, uh, yeah, tell us what uh, what you got going on hockey-wise. So, uh, first of all, uh, Lori Tanhabs on Twitter. Um, I, I write for uh, RecousePress.org which is a small paper on the, uh, the East Coast of Newfoundland. That's a generic uh, column. And uh, I also have my own site, uh, Habatter. Where, uh, I'm, you'll, you'll find it on my page, habatter.wordpress.com. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm writing hockey columns for Bleacher Report. I'm covering uh, the entire NHL plus um, some prospect stuff. Um, I know Bleacher Report is probably not a traditional place. Many people um, have looked for hockey coverage, but... Um, you know, I, I started last April or May and with, with the Turner sports deal in the United States, um, it's, we're, we're amping it up a lot and there are a lot of exciting things coming. Um, you know, uh, I haven't published anything on the, on the Canadians recently, but 
Um, I did recently publish my top 32 for the 2022 draft, which if things continue on this way for you guys, unfortunately, <laughs> that might be of, that might be of interest for you. So it's uh, it's a pin tweet for me and you can find it on Bleacher Report. Um, but yeah, that's where you'll find me. Yes, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in the draft for Montreal Canadiens fans <laughs> for the rest of this season. Unfortunately, that's the way it's shaken out until Carey Price comes back and goes on some sort of like Vesna trophy run and makes them finish right in the spot outside the top 10 of the draft and then they lose that top pick yeah. to, always, <laughs> to always great. for the Dvorak trade. So that'll be fun, but uh, we'll, we'll uh, be back on Saturday. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone, and for watching this stream. We're having fun every night, even though the Habs are not giving much to us. So <laughs> thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon.